Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning, Generations Church family. I am so thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday here with us at Generations Church Online, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube or our website. Just thanks for taking part of your Sunday out to spend with us here. We had a great drive-in church experience this morning at 9.15, and uh, I know we had a great G-Kids service on our G-Kids Facebook page at 10.30. And so thanks for just kind of taking part of your day and spending with us wherever you're doing that, however you're doing that. You know, today turned out a little different than we thought, and uh, for us, we were planning to be together uh, in person, in this space, and uh, man, we were just anticipating that. And so I'm thankful for your flexibility uh, to be able to just kind of pivot on, on in a moment's notice, it seems like, just within a few, uh, a few days here of our Sunday and be ready to do something different. And I've been thinking a lot about this transition season that we're in. Kind of late on Friday, we got word that, you know, our alarm system wasn't working the way that it needed to work to ensure your safety if you were here in the building. And while that's frustrating to us not to be here, I'm thankful for people that do their job well. And uh, we always want to provide for your safety. We always want to make sure you're taken care of. And so for the fire marshal and for those that are doing that work, just to make sure like, hey, we cannot guarantee that if people come into this space, that the alarm system would work right in the in terrible thought of an event where we would try to get you out of the building in a safe and, and speedy way. And so I'm thankful that they know how to do their job well so that we can make sure we take care of you. And I'm also thankful for people that do good work. And you know, our, our teams, our contractors, the people that have come into this building, they've prepared a great space for us. And when we gather together, and the good Lord will, and that's going to be next Sunday. I don't have any wood to knock on here, but good Lord will, and that's going to be next Sunday. We'll gather together in an amazing space that you have helped to provide for through your financial giving. And a great team of skilled laborers have, have, have created for us here. And so I can't wait for us to be together. But I was thinking about the delay, you know, and I was thinking about in seasons like this, how sometimes it's delay that makes kind of the ultimate realization of a moment even that much sweeter. I've never been pregnant, obviously, but I was thinking about the four pregnancies that Corey uh, has had, and I've walked that journey with her side by side, and just thinking about, man, you're, you're dreaming about and thinking about what it's going to be when the baby comes. That first pregnancy, it's like, oh man, I don't even know what it's going to be like to be a parent. And then the second pregnancy, it's like, oh, can we love uh, another child the way that we love this child? And then the third and the fourth, and you're just like, I don't even know if my heart can be split three and four different ways. And, and obviously it is. And in the blink of an eye, in a moment's notice, you realize, oh, man, this is what we were hoping for and waiting for. And, you know, in a much less serious, less emotional way, I think about waiting at a restaurant. It's like, oh, I'm starving. I can't believe they're going to make us wait. And then you finally sit down. It's like, oh, the food's so good. It's better than I could have imagined. And my hope is when we gather in this space, it's even going to be better than we could have imagined. I got some texts and emails after we notified you on Friday of so many people that were like, hey, we're just trusting God and his timing and his plan and his purpose for this delay. And we really are. And so we're thankful that uh, even in seasons of delay, that God is in control. And man, we're excited about what God has for us in this season of transition. And you know, in seasons of transition, there are a lot of transitions, and those take a lot of different forms. And for us, just a few months ago, we started a conversation uh, that led us to some other transitions that are coming. Back in February of this year, Pastor Matt Popham, uh, who is our Connections Pastor, he and Mary Beth uh, they had been praying during our 21 days of prayer and fasting to start the year about just what God had for them. And as a part of that, he came to me in February, and we started a conversation that's now lasted several months. 
just where he and Mary Beth felt like that God was laying it on their heart to go and be a lead pastor and to plant a church. And Matt and Mary Beth are from the Cartersville area, and they felt like the Lord was leading them that direction to go and plant a church there in uh, the greater Cartersville area. I've said that a couple of times, and somebody informed me the other day, there is no greater Cartersville area. Uh, So just in the Cartersville area, and they feel like the Lord is leading them to plant a church sometime in early 2021. And so over the next few weeks or so, they're going to transition off of our team and begin to make preparations for that church plant uh, through the fall of this year and into the spring of next year. And, And as a part of those conversations, as we've been praying about it and talking to them for these several months, uh, we, with our blessing, they, they approach Pastor Steve and Jess Mallow about going with them and, and helping lead, and they do life together. They're in a G group. They serve together and, and live in that community. And man, Steve and Jess, as they prayed, felt like this is the direction that God has for them as well. And again, we're really excited. I was telling our drive-in church at 915, we don't, we don't just have to say that. I'm, nobody's making me say that. I'm not trying to conjure up some emotion I don't feel. It is very bittersweet for us, obviously, But we have always said we are a big C church in that we believe that a win in the kingdom of God is a win for all of us. And this new work is going to reach people in the Cartersville community that we're not reaching here. And so we're thankful for what God is doing and how God speaks and how Matt and Mary Beth and Steve and Jess have responded to the call of God on their life. And so over the next few weeks, you're going to hear more about that and how we're going to try to celebrate that, bless them, honor them, pray over them. Uh, as they make this transition by the end of September, transitioning off of our team and moving towards what God is calling them to in that community. So I encourage you, reach out to them, talk to them, see how you may be able to support them financially or even through prayer and be a part of what God is doing in this next season of ministry. You know, today I'm really excited to start a brand new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And some of you are old enough to remember, or maybe just over the last couple of years, you remember or seen uh, the movie that was about uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so this television show and our series has nothing to do with that show specifically other than this tagline of Won't You Be My Neighbor. Somebody told me that I'm missing a great opportunity if I don't change shoes at the beginning of the message or put on a cardigan or, you know, something. But for us, as we talk about Won't You Be My Neighbor?, I think sometimes, and for us as a church, we, we could fall guilty of that as we think about moving into this new space and getting into our facility and preparing to come back to church together. If we're not careful, we make it all about us. We, we make it about how this affects us and what we're doing and what we're planning and what we're hoping. And so often, I believe what God tries to get us to do is focus less on self and more on others. And throughout Scripture, there is this idea of neighbor. And a word that I'm going to use a lot this month is neighboring. My computer tells me that may not be the right spelling or or even a real word, but we're going to use it a lot, so we're going to make it a word. But neighboring. And so as we talk about being a good neighbor, what is God calling us to? And when we thought about how we could phrase this series or name this series, there's a lot of ways we could go. But won't you be my neighbor is an intentional ask. It's not just, hey, I had somebody move in next door and they're my neighbor and there's nothing I can do about it. Or, hey, I work next to this guy or maybe there's somebody in my life and I don't really have anything I can do, so they're just my neighbor. No, won't you be my neighbor is an ask that we make, an invitation into our lives. And I think that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to invite people into relationship, into fellowship, into community with us And then how we're supposed to respond to them really speaks about our larger heart for God. This idea of neighbor, this image of neighbor is found throughout Scripture. We see it early in the Old Testament as a part of the law that God is laying out for this nation that he's establishing. And it's it's repeated throughout the Old Testament and then even into the New Testament. And Jesus himself speaks to this idea. In Mark chapter 12, 
Beginning in verse 30, it says this. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, when we see this passage of Scripture, what has taken place is a religious leader has come to Jesus and said, what is the most important commandment? Like, if, if I could take all the law and boil it down to one thing, what should I do? If you go back and read the law in the Old Testament, which I don't necessarily encourage you to do, unless it's a part of a larger Bible reading program, but if you read through the law, man, it gives great clarity to what God was asking of his people as he was establishing this nation. And there were so many very intricate things related to their religious function and their relational function and the covenant function and the community that they were living in in that time. And so there's so many things. Scholars have said if you were to take all of them out and try to isolate them individually and not just look at the variations of them being repeated, there may be seven or 800 different laws that were laid out for the Hebrew people. And so the religious leader who would have understood the, 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 the sum of all of those laws comes to Jesus and says here in Mark, hey, what is it that I need to really focus on? Like, I can't focus on 700 things. I can't focus on 800 different things. So like, if I were to focus on one thing, like if you were to boil it down for me to one idea, what is it I need to kind of put my attention to? And Jesus says, okay, hey, I'll give you the one thing. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there wasn't a question about what the second one was. It's just what is the greatest commandment? And here when Jesus begins speaking, he puts these two thoughts together, which I think is important for us to recognize. Like, it's not just reading something and trying to understand what does it mean. If Jesus said it, and if we want to be growing disciples of Jesus Christ, what is it that we can learn from what Jesus did? He didn't make mistakes. He didn't just throw words away. So if he's intentionally putting these two things together, what does it mean for us? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, even though you didn't ask for a second. The second is connected. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this, there is no commandment greater than these. There's no commandment greater than these. Well, maybe it's because my kids have been back in school this week. I've already started to think in, in school and think in English and diagramming sentences and understanding words and form here. There's no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Jesus was saying, listen, if you want to understand the most important thing, it's about loving God with everything that you are, every fiber of your being, and loving your neighbor as yourself. You cannot pull these two things apart. They are the greatest commandment. There is no greater commandment singular than these, plural. And so as I'm reading this, trying to understand what is God saying to me, he's saying, listen, don't try to just find the bare minimum here, and don't think that you can just pursue God and leave all the rest of his created sons and daughters behind. Now, I'm sure this has never happened to you, at least not with anybody from our church, but have you ever met anyone, maybe you meet a new couple, and you're like, man, I love that guy, but I cannot stand his wife, right? Or maybe, maybe more recently, what would happen if, if you met us for the first time, you'd say, man, I love Corey, but Jeremy is really tough to handle, right? Because it's trying to figure out, like, how do I connect with both here? Well, that is so often what happens as we talk about pursuing God, we say, God, okay, I, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this segment of your children, I hate them. 
This segment of your bride, we're called as the church, we're called the bride of Christ. Like this part of your bride, I don't like them. I don't want to hang out with them. They look different than me. They sound different than me. They believe differently than me. I love you, but I don't like them. And ultimately what I think Jesus is saying here and what we're going to spend all month long searching for in our own hearts is how are we able to try to say we love God when we are not loving our neighbors? For most of us, if you're watching now, you've carved time out of your Sunday morning to tune in to what we're doing here at Generations Church. I believe that if I were to ask you, do you want to fulfill the great commandment? Do you want to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength? Is that a pursuit that you have? You would say, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm in pursuit of with my life. And I believe that. You want to honor God, and you want to fulfill this commandment and this call that God has given to us. And so if that's the case, then how do we actually love our neighbor. I think the first requirement for us is to see the value that God ascribes to all of us, his sons and daughters, his created human beings here walking on the earth, the value that he ascribes to all of us. To love our neighbor as ourselves, we've got to love ourselves. And maybe that's the stumbling block for some who say, I, I don't really love me. So it's tough for me to love people in the way that I believe God would desire me to, to feel about myself. And I'm not talking about prideful, arrogant, self-centered. I'm talking about like a healthy kind of love for self, recognizing the value that God has placed on you, and then saying, hey, and I also take that value that I see in me, and I ascribe that value to other people. Look at this in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God so loved us. God loved you and we should take that love and now turn it towards other people. We should receive that love and then give that love towards other people because God loves us. And it's really challenged me this week as I was thinking about where we would spend our time to think like, but if I'm trying to love other people and, and even see the love that God has for me, like, what is it that I'm worth? What are you worth? Now, some of you, as soon as I say that, like you immediately jump towards like your net worth. You know, you've got a financial sheet, you know, your assets and your liabilities, and you know, the home value and your debt and your income and you like your lifetime earning capacity. Like, you know, all those things and you figured those things out. So you feel like you've got a pretty good idea of your net worth, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm also not talking about what you make in a paycheck, in a month, in a year. I'm saying, what are you actually worth. As I was thinking about that question, I was reminded of a, a story when Corey and I, this was a number of years ago, we were buying life insurance for the very first time. We were, we were in the having baby stage. We're trying to make sure like we're, you know, being responsible adults. And so we're making that transition. And it's like, okay, we got to buy life insurance. Somebody said, that's what we're supposed to do. So we got to buy life insurance. And so we sit down with this young man who's selling us a life insurance policy. And, and, and as he's talking to us, Corey and I are sitting there together. I'm assuming that he's either not married or the dumbest man ever to walk on the face of the earth, because this is what he said to me in the presence of my wife. He said, hey, you know, Corey, in this season, the greatest value that you provide to Jeremy is the free childcare that you provide for your children. You, you don't work outside the home, and so you provide free childcare for your children. 
And so that's a great value to Jeremy. So Jeremy, as you're thinking about, you know, enough coverage, you know, for Corey, you got to make sure that like, heaven forbid something were to happen, like you've got enough money to replace this, this value add that Corey gives to you and to your family. And I was thinking, man, I don't know what he's worth, but he's about to die. You know what I'm saying? So, so I was thinking about like, okay, um, I did what any good husband would do. I looked at Corey and I was like, hey, you're so much more valuable to me than that, right? Well, I think it's, it's different than just what the service that you provide or the goods that you produce. On your job, what you do Monday through Friday or, or whatever it is that you do as a hobby or a craft and you produce with your hands, like that's not what we're talking about as it relates to your worth, to your value. As an employer, it's not just the number of people that you can employ and keep the economy going in our community, which we've talked about so much in recent weeks and months. No, what is it that you are actually worth? And so let's put it in the context of God. I believe if you were to look at what God has demonstrated to us as it relates to our lives, you are worth Jesus to God. When God decided how much you were worth, when he had to ascribe value to your soul and to your life, he chose to send his one and only son to the earth to live and ultimately to die on a cross and to be resurrected so that you and I could live. You are worth Jesus to God. And whenever you allow the enemy to try to distort that value in your mind or whenever you allow the words of other people to try to tell you what you're worth or what you're good for, I encourage you to, to, to reorient that question and to reorient that thought and remind yourself that you are worth Jesus to God. It's not about what you can produce. It's because of who you are. When I think about that, it causes all, all that I am to, to wonder, okay, well, if, if that's what I'm worth, maybe, maybe, maybe I can get myself to believe that about me, but do I treat others that way? I mean, do I treat my neighbors, both those who literally live near me and those that I do life with on a regular basis, do I treat my neighbors as if they're worth Jesus to God? Is that how I treat them in the way that I live among them? Probably not. They are worth Jesus to God too. And so then how can I love my neighbor? How can I love my neighbor? I would love to be like super creative and come up with the most amazing way to articulate love to you. But two plus two always equals four. And when I'm coming to this idea of love in scripture, I always come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the New Testament, where we understand this defining value of love and what love looks like in the context of relationship with other people. And this is what it says beginning in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You and I know these words. We've, we've read them. We've heard them. We've heard them recited at weddings. There's love songs written with these words right in the lyrics. We know these words. But if we are to love our neighbor, we're confronted with words like patient and kind. Right? We're confronted with it doesn't envy and boast, it, it doesn't dishonor and self-seeking, it isn't easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. And then the words that we hate to read, it always, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
When I think about these words and I begin to think about neighbors, I begin to think about the people that we do life with, it causes me to ask some questions. And I encourage you now, just in the next minute or two, they're going to put these questions up behind me. And when they do, I encourage you, wherever you see a fill in the blank, I want you just to insert someone's name, a neighbor, a sibling, a spouse, a coworker, a boss, an employee, somebody on your sports team, somebody in your class, a teacher, a classmate, student. Insert their name here to determine how well you are loving neighbor. Am I patient toward fill in the blank? Am I kind to fill in the blank? Do I envy what blank has? Do I brag to blank about what I have? Do I honor blank well? Do I always try to get my way with blank? Why do I get so angry with blank? Do I always bring up blank past mistakes that they've made? Is there ever a time that I don't protect blank? Do I always trust them? Do I hope for the best for them all the time? How much more should I persevere in my relationship with them? I mean, when I come to these questions, I see that I've got a lot more work to do in my relationship with others. Patient and kind and keeping no record of wrong, always trusting, always protecting, always hoping, always persevering. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to me to remember that I can't just love God and leave my neighbors out. Because here's the truth for me, and it probably is for you too. I see this pattern over and over in Scripture and in the lives of people that I'm doing life with. The closer I get to God, the more he pushes me closer to people I struggle to love. The closer I get to God, the more he pushes me closer to people I struggle to love. The reality for me is I want to love God, but I don't know how hard I always work to love my neighbor as myself. But he said, this is the greatest commandment. Love God with everything that you are. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It causes me to reflect on the fact that maybe I've made it about something it's not, or I've left out something that it is. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter here in 1 Corinthians, like he's writing in, thir- in chapter 13 about love in verses 4 through 7. But before we even get there, he confronts my religious spirit. He confronts what I've tried to make it about. Listen to this beginning in verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. He says, listen, you can, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can grow in knowledge and wisdom. You can have immeasurable faith and you can even give generously for the wrong reasons. But without love, it's incomplete. He's saying you take all of your religious activity, everything you're doing to strive for God, as you leave aside your neighbor, and you are missing the point. The second is like it. 
Religion, in my opinion, is truth without love. We're not called to be religious. We're not called only to pursue God. Jesus himself, the Son of God, said, you want to boil it all down? You want to understand what pleases and honors me? You want to try to figure out what it's all about in my mind? Love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength and love your neighbor. And love your neighbor. So the question today for all of us is, how well are we neighboring? How well are we neighboring? How well are we loving those that are around us? How well are we trying to not just make it about love for God, but also about love for others? And I know that's tough, but man, what a challenge to search our hearts and say, how, how well am I neighboring? How well am I loving those that God has placed in my life? And so I want you just right where you're at, just to close your eyes, maybe bow your head right there in your living room, wherever you're sitting to watch, you got it on a device of some kind and you're trying to determine, hey, what is God saying to me today? Maybe you know that you need to love God. You need to ask God to forgive your sins and to be the Lord of your life. You know you're not in a relationship with him. And so you need to kind of figure out this loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength, peace, And if that's you today, as soon as you acknowledge that, God responds and he gives to us the free gift of salvation. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to demonstrate God's love to us. And today, we would love the honor to pray for you. If that's you, just lift your hand. Maybe you click the link there in the chat where you're watching or type it in and just say, hey, I'm trusting God for salvation today. In that moment, it'll change your eternity forever. Or maybe you say to me today, Jeremy, for me, it's not salvation. It's not about loving God more, loving God better. It's actually about loving neighbor. And there's some people in my life or a person in my life, and I just don't know that the way that I'm treating them, the way that I'm trying to love them is actually a reflection of my heart for God, my love for God. And I want God to help me to love my neighbor better right now. I believe God will break our hearts. He'll challenge us. He'll convict us. He'll change us. And help us to see the value that he's ascribed to them, that they are worth Jesus to God. And so today we want to pray for you. God, right where people are watching, I pray that your presence would be with them. I pray, God, that today they would know that you're in their homes, their living rooms, on their job, in their car, wherever they're watching today, you're right there with them. You promise never to leave us nor forsake us. And I believe even through technology like this, where there's two or three gathered together, that, God, you're in our midst. That's what you promised to us. So, God, I pray now for those who have acknowledged their need for you. I pray, God, that you would forgive them, lead and guide their lives, help them to love you in response to the love that you have given toward them. Help all of us to be challenged today to love God with all of our heart, not just part of our heart, and all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength, God. Let us lean into that. And God, I pray now for those who responded to say, I need to love my neighbor better, coworker, my spouse, my children, my siblings, my parents, my teachers, my coaches, whoever we have in our lives. When we filled in the blank earlier, God, would you just help us to love them well, even if we don't get that love in return? God, let us be patient and kind. And let us reflect the grace that you've extended to us towards those in our lives. And God, over the next few weeks, as we look at this idea of neighbor, would you help us to be challenged? 
to reflect your heart and the value that you ascribe to others. And God, let us treat people with an understanding that they are worth Jesus to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.